All right, guys, it's that moment you've been waiting for. The illustrious, the magnificent, goodness gracious, arguably one of the smartest people I know. I have him with me. He's unbuttoning the top button on his shirt. Ladies and gentlemen, he's here. We have Show Baraka. <laughs> First of all, I was trying to button it up and then you called me out. No, no, no. I thought you were trying to show us that, you know. The, the, the chest hairs, nah, man, the chain. I'm not trying to cause nobody to stumble. I'm not trying to cause nobody to stumble. <laughs> Did you see my meme about causing uh, people to stumble? It's it's fantastic. Nah. Can I say something before you go into your... First of all, you are you are grade A with whatever this... What is YouTubing? I don't know. Whatever this live, platform... Live streaming. Ha- they, live streaming. is Live streaming. Bro, you are top-notch with it i'm just gonna say thank that. you congratulations to you you were a top-notch mc now you transition to a top-notch live streamer i appreciate that man i'm trying to get you into the space you got me inspired I'm with the trying. book so i'm trying to you're gonna get me into the book space i need to get you into the live streaming space because it's Let's Matt fertile it. out Let's here you you have the perfect personality the perfect backstory so we we need you in this space bro um this book goodness gracious Man, okay, first of all, this is the first time in a long time I've read a physical book, okay? So thank you for writing this. I went to Barnes & Noble. Actually, I sent my wife to Barnes & Noble, if I'm going to keep it a buck. <laughs> <laughs> and she she picked this up for me because you sent me the digital a while ago, and I just couldn't get into yeah. reading it on my phone. And then I, I got, like, the audio books. just take too long. So, man, this is a really, really good book. There's a lot I want to talk to you about this. Uh, for those people who may not know what the book is about, just give us kind of a synopsis, and then I want to like dive de- deep. We're gonna have Ruslan Shobaraka book club. Yeah. All right. So, the quick elevator pitch is: this book is basically about a theology of work, a theology of story, and a theology of creation. And I use different mo- uh, modalities of fiction. I use you know poems or whatever, but mostly the meat of the book is nonfiction of me writing about movements, people, and ways in which we've seen people use their work, their creation, and storytelling for good or for detriment. Dude, it's really good. So I'm going to kind of go backwards here, and I'm gonna, I want to bounce some quotes off of you from the book, and then okay. l- l- let's let's dive into it. You got your start. Uh, if you guys don't know, me and Shobaraka met, oh, my goodness, 12, 13 years ago through Wado, uh, in doing Christian hip-hop together. We did some records together. We've done uh, quite a few shows together. Uh, you were yep. originally signed to uh, Lecrae and Ben's label, Reach Records. Uh, you crushed mm-hmm. it over there. Your One of your biggest songs, We Could Be More, Love Song, which was like groundbreaking for a Christian rapper to have a love song <laughs> that didn't overtly preach the substitutionary atonement of Jesus. Uh, so that was super dope. And I want to read this excerpt to you, uh, and then and then just we just, just dive in. Okay, so this is from chapter... Uh, chapter 5, uh, page 108, you said, My label mates and I were swooned over by prominent pastors. Can we talk about some of those pastors? That would be amazing. Mark Driscoll. We could. We could Prominent pastors and Christian institutions that saw us rapping recruiters for a culture war that needed urban credibility. <laughs> no matter how well-intentioned they were, I was no longer willing to be a... I think that word is mer- mercenary. Mercenary. 
mercenary. Yep. I kept like, why is man? You said mercenary quite a few few times. We felt the burden <laughs> of fitting into the monolithic culture mold of evangelicalism. Eden was almost forgotten. And then you go on to say, uh, that's what I meant. I had to be either brave enough to speak truth to power or exit the palace altogether. Once again, I began to ask myself a series of questions. What does it mean to be a Christian artist? What sets the precedent? Does the present Christian culture promote spiritual redemption and cultural assimilation? Should we even have a Christian industry? And uh, and then you you go on to say that's all, that all came to a head. I remember a series of events that drove me from making music that was acceptable to the contemporary Christian music CCM and gospel markets. I felt CCM and gospel didn't allow artists to be honest about the gold and shadow of society. We couldn't fully celebrate the gold, and we were expected to handle sex, social activities, and any worldly association like Puritan pastors. Goodness. Okay, so this this whole bit about you guys feeling like you were recruiters for a culture war that needed urban <laughs> credibility, um, incredible. And and this reminds me because it's around the time we met, and this reminds yeah. me of that time in Christian hip hop. So let, let's just talk about that, man. Um, there's a okay. lot here. There's that tension you intentionally pulled back from the space that Reach was populating and you know t- tell me how all of this plays out in hindsight and just where you know yeah just you, you just go <laughs> it was a terrible decision because i am not as rich as i can be i don't have as much money as i can have right now so i regret it i regret you really it you regret it no financially. i don't <laughs> i if i'm honest there are there are times when i look at individuals who who are, are, have excelled or are excelling in Christian music spaces. And I think if I would have remained, I could be that place. I can be in that position. But I also know the type of person I am, the Christian music market is not is not set up for me to succeed. It's just not built for an individual like me. I am, and I don't say this to pat myself on the back, I am too prophetic. I'm too much of a, of a prophet. And this is the reason why when you see, even in the Old Testament, prophets are usually lone rangers. They roam by themselves. And to borrow some of the language I use from the book and other spaces, that's good and that's bad. That's gold and shadow. It's gold because the prophet never feels that they are tied to a particular entity or institution. And so they can speak truth to power. However, prophets get lonely sometimes and they never... As I like to say in the song that I'm writing, prophets rarely, rarely profit. Mm. And so, um, <clears throat> and I find that to be something that can be uh, cathartic, could be therapeutic, but it can also be a lonely place. And because sometimes, very similar to activists, the prophet is always pessimistic and looking for something to critique sometimes. And that could be unhealthy. Mm. Um, it's, it's like it's the Jonah syndrome, right? It's like Jonah, <laughs> the Lord has called him to <laughs> preach the gospel. And he's like, I don't want these jokes to come to know the Lord. <laughs> yeah, that's, a, so, that's, that, that's and, a good tie in, man. Uh, do you think that's changed? So what particularly like the I think show Baraka in 2021 crushes what you could be now. Meaning that yeah. like like 2008, 2009, it's just a different climate, technology is different, right? But right, if we right, look right, at, right. at folks that, that, that we can say kind of came after you, not aesthetically necessarily, but if we look at a Toby, a Aha Gazelle, um, I, I mean, I don't know how, how else to say it, but folks that are, that are Christian but unapologetically black. Um, yeah, they, they tend to, to find their own audience. And it's also beyond the four walls of the church. Absolutely. 
So no, I definitely feel like it's changed. There's a different there's a different pipeline to the to the listener and to the consumer. And I think that's a great thing. Um I do think there is a greater change that needs to happen and we could talk about that, but there's a change even within the Christian music market that I think people are starting to feel more liberated to talk about the things that they feel like the people at power or the gatekeepers are trying to restrict them from saying, and it may not say you can't talk about this, but they don't reward those people for talking about it. Um, however, the greater change that needs to come is that the people who create the cultural product need to figure out how they can own the avenues of distribution. That's the bottom line. And so own the festivals, own the, the touring, on own the platforms, uh, folks like you who understand the culture, uh, have folks like me on um, so that the people who are controlling the mediums of communication or success or financial gain aren't the people who can, who don't understand the culture who's making the product, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And this is the interesting thing you say that, man. And here, here's the thing that's so fascinating to me, bro, is I mentioned it at the, the, the pre-interview section, Summer 2020 Fest. Uh, MC Nice and his team are organizing it. They, they got Bank of America Stadium. And it's going to be the biggest Christian hip-hop festival ever. I mean, the ticket sales are already looking good. It's going to be in a stadium, which is really wild. So here you have somebody Beautiful. that's from within the culture putting on a festival and I don't know how many calls I've gotten, and this is no shade to anybody who's called me and is watching this, but I don't know how many calls I've gotten from people that are skeptics that are a part of the event or have artists that are a part of the event that are like, so what do you make of this summer 2020 fest? How do you think <laughs> it's going to work out? And I'm like, man, I think we got to get behind it because here's exactly yeah. what show was talking about. You have someone that's from the culture that, that's been around hip-hop and has transitioned to being a, a follower of Jesus in, in hip-hop, and he's on you know Dash Radio and all this stuff. Shout-out to MC Nice. He's actually coming on tomorrow. And he's doing something, and he's getting investors and funding and money into this thing at a stadium, at a stinking Yo, stadium. And and there's still this hesitancy and this like from within the, the within the within our own community show and people are like so uh, what, how do you what do you think how do you think this is gonna go and it's yeah. like I think it's gonna go amazing like <laughs> I think yeah. this is and good is what we, we should need. hope it goes amazing and there's there's you know some people will call it the crab in a barrel syndrome some people call it you know just self loathing but I think part of it is is you know if I if I made it more of a a, a black thing. Oftentimes what happened in black communities when people were able to uh, integrate with, you know, white folks or spaces where they weren't allowed, it didn't matter if black people were doing the same thing and doing it at a high level. They just wanted the white man's ice. <laughs> and so there's like an idiom that goes around that talks about how you think the white man's ice is colder than ours. You know what I mean? And that's the same thing. I think what happens is, is the people who are who are delivering the cultural product, at times there should be some skepticism because some of those folks who who are putting on these events probably have not had any history of building institutions or putting on high level events. However, those folks who have put those on got there because they somebody gave them an opportunity. And now they have the muscles that they can continue to flex and build in order to put on high level events. And the issue is, is you're continuing to build somebody else's platform who does not really care about the culture, because at the end of the day, um, when it comes down to it, they're going to protect their own sensibility. 
And I feel like there would be there needs to be more people within the hip hop culture, especially Christian hip hop culture, who understands the unspoken rules and uh, sensibilities so that they can continue to guard it and build it in a way that is legitimate. I had a conversation with Lecrae when Miami telling you um, saying this. I had a conversation with Lecrae the other day and I was like, look, man, one of the things that Christian hip hop needs is you to own it like there needs to we need to stop this like i'm no longer christian hip-hop i'm i remove myself like i'm no the (laughs) hip-hop space is gonna always see you as the christian rapper Mm -hmm. so no matter how successful you are and i think kirk franklin does this very well kirk franklin knows he's always a gospel artist Mm -hmm. but he knows how to maneuver in non-gospel music spaces come on and i think lecrae is the equivalent of that lecrae knows how to maneuver in non-christian hip-hop spaces but they're never going to uh, fully accept him as et cetera. Like, you yeah. know what I mean? He's yeah. always going to be the Jesus boy. So I think what happens is, is if you want the culture to be something like you, you have to own it. You can't continue yeah. to dismiss it. And there's a whole nother political conversation I think I want to have with black folks about this same thing. It's like black people who continue to try to remove themselves from America. Like, no, I'm not American. I'm not American. I'm not American. It's like, whoa, yo, you better claim America because guess what? You ain't nothing else. <laughs> you go to these other countries and they're going to tell you American. And then two, you, your people, your heritage, your ancestors gave life, blood, sweat, and tears to build this country. And so you better ex- believe that this is yours. And the more we distance ourselves, the more we try to segregate ourselves from the, uh, from the institutions in which America uh, and granted, I understand, and I don't want to. I understand that there's some 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 tension in associating, but however, that's the way you make best change is by saying I need to be a part of the system. I need to integrate myself in the system so that Come I can on. actually make real substantive change. And that's the same thing with Christian hip hop. I think w- w- before before we move on to America, because I actually really want to talk about that with you. I think what's so beautiful about that is when you you telling Lecrae you need to own being a Christian rapper. Right. Um, To take it a step further, um, you need to own the festivals like we need to stop going to Winter Jam and Rock and Road Worship Tour and breaking our artists that way. Like, let's go. Y'all need to make your own because I mean, it's not like they don't have the capital, like, like, go do it. And, and, you know, and again, and then you got MC Nice, who we know, but cats don't really know it is not as much of a history there. And he's putting on something massive like. And, and again, I'm going to have MC Nice on. I'm, I'm obviously behind that event. But it's really interesting that Reach hadn't done Summerfest with 50 non-Reach artists. There's 70 artists on this. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. you know what I mean? And we saw glimpses of it. Remember it when we did sense. the Man Up conference? And we, you know, there was glimpses of these things that we saw yeah. along the way. Uh, but But it was never like, yes, we're going to do this for the movement, not go over here and keep getting this CCM bag. Absolutely. And so that's what I mean when I talk about these pipelines and these avenues of of creation, distribution festivals is like probably one A, because I think um, the the labels and the uh, digital distributions and all that stuff is important. But the festivals are just as important as the people who are distributing the music, because this is like you said, it's how you break artists. This is how you introduce artists into the space. I'm not saying don't do the winter jams. What I'm saying is don't make those the winter jams and these festivals the priority when you know you have a summer fest or when you know you have um, the one in Tampa or you have a legacy or you have some of these other ones that are trying to build legitimacy. And the moment you remove yourself from it, you know, that creates a hit, um, like not a hit, like in a good way, but a, a detriment. It creates a detriment because if I look at a festival and I don't see any reach artists, then that kind of 
that creates a legitimacy issue, right? Mm. Um, if I don't see any, uh, and I'm so far removed, bro, from from knowing who's popping right now. <laughs> Shout out to Indie <laughs> Tribe. I I respect yeah, what they're, they're doing. doing. Killer job. I love what they're doing. Um, but whatever labels are really popular, um, if they don't see their artists on that on that particular uh, bill then they begin to question the legitimacy of it. Uh, God over money, obviously you see them and you're like, all right, cool. Like there's some legitimacy. And I'm glad when you put up that flyer, I saw some names there. I'm like, yo, that's what we need to be doing. Um, but we always want to build our own platforms. And, and granted, I'm not talking about reach. I'm just talking about in general. I said, we have a problem with wanting to build our own agendas and palaces when God has called us to, that this <laughs> none of this is ours anyway. And so- yeah. Yeah, that's good, man. Um, okay, so you mentioned America. Uh, you mentioned um, you, you mentioned you know uh, black folks owning their that kind of like an identity of America because they they built they built it they helped build the majority yeah. of the infrastructure so on and so forth. Um, there's a section in here that 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 took me back to our first conversation, and I always get this. I always get that. I'm trying to figure out how to ease into it. Okay, so me and you had this conversation in twenty. It had to be 2014. And we were doing this show at Blueprint Church. It was a Dream Junkies show. And there wasn't a lot of people there. Um, but it was a fun show, nevertheless. And I remember me and you having this conversation. And I was asking you about Black Lives Matter, the organization. And you very early on was like, yeah, I don't really mess with Black Lives Matter, the organization like that. And I was like, huh? What do you, what do you mean, show Baraka? Like, what, is, what do you mean you don't mess? You know what I mean? And you were like... Yeah, they're kind of convoluting, you know, these issues yeah. with some other issues, yeah. and they're and they're Marxist. Oh. <laughs> hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on. <laughs> you about to? All right, calm down, calm down, sir. calm down. <laughs> now I will say this: at a at a very at the I guess you could say in the infancy of the institution, I just had problems with their um, their tenets, and you know. I think now within the last year or two, I can't remember how long they've faced a lot more public scrutiny around how they viewed family, how they viewed the village, the nuclear family and things of that nature. But early on, I saw it. You know, what I mean, my issue was we can partner on issues of justice. However, don't don't deconstruct the things that make me who I am in order to Mm. to um, to to what I think. Mm-hmm. Gives you an opportunity to for people to see the dignity in you. However, don't try to deconstruct the very thing that I feel is um, is valuable and honored and within my particular tradition. And so, therefore, there's a way that we can have some sort of um, uh, cordial agreement or even disagreement in some things. And so, for me, I felt like a lot of uh, their posture and their stances were very. Um, antagonistic to people and to be fair to big people and institutions who have been the problem and who mm-hmm. have been an obstacle to certain folks within uh, those particular movements that are trying to seek justice for folks that uh, find themselves on the margin of some Christian beliefs or some conservative beliefs or some historically traditional black church beliefs as well. And mm-hmm. so, and, but I do think there is a way to hold your conviction while at the same time being very compassionate and coming to an agreement on how to be co-belligerent with issues. And I felt like early in the, in the movement that they weren't, they weren't cool with being co-belligerent 
Um, they just wanted to be belligerent towards all people who didn't 100 percent agree. And the reality is, is nobody's going to fully align with your ideas, even if they come with the posture of love. So mm. hopefully that makes, makes it more sense. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you cleaned that up very well. There's a, there's a section in here that I wanted to read back to you that I think is so telling about the caricature. Because what you, what you kind of got it was there's a lot of characters being painted, right? There's this like, hey, you know, we can't affiliate with historically the people that have been on the front lines of a lot of the civil rights issues, which has been the black church, we can't affiliate with those because we're going to do all these other things over here and we're going to disrupt the nuclear family and we're going to do all these, you know what I mean? Uh, And you just hear it and you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like these aren't conservative values. These aren't white supremacist values. Like nuclear family, like what are we talking about? Like these are human, you go to Asia, you go to Africa, you go to South America, there's nuclear families, right? And and they're good. So that was the part where I I remember you being early on that. And I remember thinking, and so when this stuff kind of revved up, I was just kind of like, well, I mean, there's always been, for my understanding, critique of the organization, but you have this section, uh, this is on page 96, and you said with the rise of the Black Lives Matter movement, you would think by the noise made on social media and news networks that there is overwhelming support among black Americans for defunding or abolishing the police. However, recent research done by the Gallup has shown that 61% say otherwise. That is why it's imperative to give voice to the margin. So you're saying 61% of the black community is saying, "Uh uh-uh. No, 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 no. We need some policing. We need order. We need structure, right? That that, that policing isn't a white supremacist concept. No, no, we need uh, policing. We just maybe need to do it differently. There are things that people will say that are white supremacist structures and and institutions that I will say I see how we've labeled them white supremacist institutions. Um, Now, historically, there's a very good argument to be made that, yes, policing is a... um, is an institution that was built on the supremacy, not not solely because it was a political institution that was built to squash political movements, not amongst black folks, but um, amongst people who just didn't, mostly poor, um, that started in England, moved its way to the East Coast. However, today we see that policing has mostly targeted areas of poverty. And because areas of poverty are densely, usually densely African-American or are brown, then obviously that means those people are who are targeted are black and brown. And so here's the issue. Here's the grand issue. I've, I live in a community that is highly policed, let's just say. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've had my car broken into, guns pulled out, whatever. The thing is, is that we can make an argument that police don't necessarily stop crime. However, policing is necessary for the purposes that we know that violent crimes happen in, in in particular communities. And in order for us to figure out how to, to squash those violent crimes, you need some sort of agencies. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean necessarily policing, but you need something. And it's mm-hmm. ignorant for me to say, well, off top, we need to just do away with policing when we know that if there are areas which 90% of the crime is done by people of color, it's going to be hard for these folks to not police those particular areas. Like this was an issue in New York. And I forgot the guy's name who did the research. He's like, look, I, 
let me let, before I move on, let me say that I am highly for police reform, not just police reform in black communities in general. I feel far too many people are murdered by police. I feel far too many people are arrested for ridiculous crimes. I feel like far too many people are in jail altogether. That's a whole nother podcast. I do believe in ridiculous reform. I mean, drastic reform. And also for prisons, I almost am, I'm a prison abolitionist. I almost do not believe in prisons altogether. Um, but that's a whole nother conversation. But to to his research, he says, take New York, for instance, almost 90 percent of 97 percent of violent crimes in New York City are were perpetuated by black and brown people. If you really are trying to figure out how not to uh, how to bring down the, the, the rate of crime in New York, the reality is, is you you have to target the people who are perpetuating crime, not only because these are the people who are perpetuated, but the people who are who the violent crimes are done against are also black and brown. And mm-hmm. so when you go to areas like Baltimore, where you had a, a Freddie Gray and then all of a sudden there was an increase in crime, but there was also an increase in, you know, criticism of the police. You had officials in this conundrum. Like, what do we do? Mm-hmm. Do we do we respond to police calls or do we just fall back and here's the and this is the issue because the people who are who are the crimes are being perpetuated against still call the police they still want protection Mm. and they still but the people who usually um and i and this is a harsh generalization the people who operate or orbit outside of those particular spaces are the ones who are the loudest voices against policing defunding and etc etc and so for me i i live in this conundrum I, mm. I, I, I walk outside of my house. Literally, this is no, I walk outside my house two ju- two dudes are trying to break into my car and then they take off and r- they run. I was about to chase after them. And then I think like, if I chase after them, I don't know what kind of weapon they have. What if they turn around and shoot me? Then I'm thinking, call the police. But I'm like, man, if I call the police, what happens with their interaction? What if the police shoots mm. them? And then Jeez. now we have a protest in my city. And so I'm, I'm sitting here like, these are the, these are the issues in which we deal with. And so, um, it's, to sum it all up, here's the way that I see it. I see it like Jesus interacting with the woman at the well. She, Jesus looks at the system and he says, these Pharisees are punishing this woman, are punishing this woman with, with these, uh, the Pharisees are punishing this woman and they have zero right to do this because they get away with the same types of uh uh, uh, lifestyles that mm-hmm. they're indicting this woman for. And mm-hmm. so Jesus says, there's something wrong with the system. You guys need to fix the system and change the system. And if you think you're better than this woman, then go ahead and stone her. But I see the same sin in you mm. that I see in this woman. And then he turns into her and he says, look, go and sin no more. Come so on. when I look at my community, I say, look, man, like, look, there's obviously a policing problem. There's police brutality. There's there's over policing. People are being arrested and stopped for ridiculous things. We need to change the system. However, my brother, like you got to stop robbing folks mm. <laughs> like and I understand the position that you're in and how America has created this position. But guess what? We're we're wiser, smarter individuals than the predicaments that we're placed in. And we can figure out how to escape these predicaments without just saying, oh, well, it's the, how can I say this without? Yeah, I would just say we we can figure out how to escape what some people may call these pathologies by um, applying better wisdom and and better application to issues that aren't always solely racial issues. Some of these are very economic issues, but the race compounds the issue as well. So, yeah. Yeah, that's good. Hopefully that was cogent. 
No, that was good. And I think when we talk systems, I think there's just two things I think of. One, I think of people that are still in prison for selling weed in states where weed is legal. Right? Yeah. Like like doing 20 there's a, there's a gentleman doing 20 <laughs> something years for selling weed in Michigan and Michigan is legal, weed is legal. Like that's outlandish to me. Then there's folks that are still under some degree of the third strikes law where maybe they had the first two crimes and then they, you know, uh, did, did a petty crime, a theft or something like that. And then that escalated and they got their third strike and they're doing 20 years, 16 years, whatever. There's a, there's a gentleman in prison right yeah. now for having three grams of crack. He'd 16 years for three grams of crack because it was his third offense. So there's over 3,500 people doing life in prison right now for nonviolent crimes, which is which is when you talk about prison reform. I mean, goodness gracious, thirty five hundred people doing life in prison for nonviolent crime. And then when I think of police reform, I think the issue with some of this is just terrible branding. Abolish police, define, defund police like it sounds not page, right? it, it sounds antagonistic. It sounds like we're just trying to get your attention and you know what I mean and just say something wild. But when you actually look at what that looks like uh, in um, Camden, New Jersey, I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with the story. They mm-hmm. abolished their local police. Right. The, the, the mm-hmm. sheriff stepped in, rebuilt and rehired everybody, fired, rehired everybody, made everybody go through the training, and then would intentionally drop off these police officers in Camden and be like, all right, go figure it out. (laughs) Like, you want to eat? Go figure it out. You want to use the restroom? Go figure it out. And they saw that that alone and retraining these cops completely mitigated a lot of the tensions within the communities and decreased Camden, New Jersey as being the number one murder capital per capita Mm -hmm. to to businesses coming back to all kinds of amazing things that and Camden, New Jersey is completely and in part like because they did they do need law enforcement you do need some degree of law order and obviously we saw the same thing in in places like Brooklyn and more law presence you know gets more businesses in appreciates the property taxes I mean the property values and all that kind of stuff so if you own property it's a good look if you don't own property, it's not, it's not a good look. You're going to get forced out, right? right? So, again, I hear you on this, like, tension. Itself, yeah. yeah, and you talked about that in the book uh, in, in terms of um, – People getting getting pushed out, poor people getting pushed out, um, and and how that's like a, a you know it's happening all over right now. Um, in New York, I know people who owned property in Brooklyn, in Flatbush, in Bed Stuy. And, and literally became multi-millionaires, elect, guy who's an electrician, guy that worked for the city bus driver that mm-hmm. just bought property back in the 90s, brownstones, and now those brownstones are worth $2 million, black folks. Um, and, it was, and it completely transformed their legacy. They were able to stay and benefit and get tenants and all, you know, all the hipsters moved to Brooklyn and now they're, they got a whole brownstone. Right. And so I've seen that. And then obviously you also see the cons of gentrification where now the, the, fo- the poor folks can't afford to stay and are getting pushed out further and further. I mean, it's, it's happening all over San Diego and Los Angeles right now where there's more and more folks being pu- pushed out to the high desert, more folks being pushed out to the Inland Empire. Um, I hear you on the tension, man. So I, I, I think my, my question is, and I, and I have an idea that I want to bounce off to, but my question is, do you think that having access to information and access to mentors is 
a way that a lot of this stuff can get mitigated. Because I'll be honest, I'm not with like the government fixing any of this. Like I don't, I, I think they're vastly incompetent, and I just, mm-hmm. I just don't see it happening federally or statewide. So, do you think some yeah. of this goes back to us as leaders, as creatives, as businessmen? helping the next generation. I'll give you an example of of how I'm attempting to do this in my personal life, but I want to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, I do do think, so I I agree. I think government is incompetent. However, there's a reality that the government, like institutions help you get things done. And Mm -hmm. so the problem is, is you don't want the government to be in your way. Um, uh, Oftentimes we can think of like, um, you know, depending if you're a free market individual or not, the reality of it is, is, Capitalism has its issues. It has great. It creates. It creates great disparity, but it it also creates great opportunity for people for people to 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 get out of poverty, because it creates means for which people can just take the raw materials of the world and just say, hey, I want to create a business without there being great obstacles mm-hmm. for them to do so. At least that's how it should be. However, once you get to the place where you start to create that product, you can do some great harm with that by how you demolish or you know compete with other people. And so I believe in a very charitable capitalism. If if, if And I don't believe that capitalism is the end all be all, but I do believe that that is one way of doing it. However, so the government should not be an obstacle for us, but how? But in that we have m- these mitigating uh, institutions, these mediating institutions, better yet, like churches or nonprofits that should be creating opportunities or um, a conduit for people. That's the reason why nonprofits exist. Like, okay, if there's homelessness, how can these institutions do good work for you know people? Um, but then there are folks, like you say, like the mentors and the leaders who if you don't have a, comp- a heart of compassion so for instance to go back to the black lives matter thing like i granted i don't rock with the 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 institution mm-hmm. but i believe in the sentiment similarly like i don't rock with donald trump but i can see how like you know i love people who vote for donald trump but i think he's the most ridiculous human being to walk this earth so so when i say that that doesn't mean that the people that hold these beliefs, I have devalue. I like, I don't devalue them. And yet, and even in that, I feel like there can be some collaboration to get things done. And so in that, if we do not see each other as human beings that have inherent dignity and we can find some charitable conversation in the midst of that and say, look, how do I use our, how do we use our resources for the benefit of other people? Then it really doesn't matter. Like I can be wealthy and I can have all these things, but until I am able to see that my wealth is for the benefit of other people, it really doesn't matter. And so, yes, I would say, my, uh, I would say that individuals, leaders, people have an opportunity to create, have the have the advantage or the opportunity to create opportunity for folks. And you said you were going to use an example. One of the things that I'll, I think about doing is I try my best to create jobs for folks whenever mm-hmm. I am leading an institution whenever i have uh, a project i'm saying man how can i create opportunities in leadership development moments for people so that when they're done with this particular job or they're done with this particular project they can move on and create wealth and opportunity for themselves and hopefully they've learned from me how to do and reciprocate and recycle the same kind of practices and principles that i've shown them though i'm not perfect this is a way, this is a very simple way in a means to use your entrepreneurship. Yep. Very simple. Like, hey, you're an artist. Well, artists, guess what? 
they need producers, you need to travel on tours, you need managers, you need musicians, you need, uh, you know, assistance, you need some sort of infrastructure. How am I very strategic about hiring people that can fulfill those positions, not only that they can make me great, but so that I can make them great. And I think far too many of us are only looking for our own self-empowerment, which is good, but we're looking at it for the detriment, through the detriment of other people. And um, I think that's a dangerous place to be because that is essentially um, how capitalism trailblaze over people. You could be a trailblazer, but you trailblaze right over people and you look behind you and you see a wake of dead bodies. And that is why oftentimes you'll find that Marxists and socialists and you know communists, et cetera, et cetera, will look at capitalism and, and, and call it out. Because I do think there are areas in which we've practiced historically in this country that have left people in the margins, but that doesn't have to be. Yeah, I think that doesn't have to be with technology. Like, I think now things are getting simpler to make, easier to make, yeah. uh, faster to make, better to make. And because of that, some of this can, uh, some of the ruthlessness that maybe capitalism has had historically, right, mm. it can, can be mitigated because of stuff like technology and because of um the internet making the world smaller, the, the the being able to get in front of people. If you have a great product, you can get in front of people. Um, I think of like my brother Bartholomew Jones from Coffee Black, and they mm-hmm. they, they he you know lost his job as a school teacher, and had this idea of Coffee Black. They were kind of doing it on the side, and then one day he posted a graphic, and it was you know the um, love black people like you love black culture uh, graphic. Uh, have you seen that? Yeah, so I'm familiar he, with him. I did a I did a oh, okay. Uh, you did a thing a for musical. Him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was in a musical that I wrote. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I'm sure, but my bad. So he did Love Black People Like You Love Black Coffee, put it on Instagram, the post blew up, and then like did a shirt with that phrase, did a couple thousand sales pre-orders of that shirt, funded it, did never had to take out any debt. And I mean, Coffee Black is is now valued uh, near multiple six figure, if not seven figure business, mm-hmm. because he had an idea that that, that timed the market at a perfect place and and uh and it gave folks an opportunity to keep the dollar within their communities or communities that they they rock with for me that's my friend that's my brother in christ of course i'm gonna rock with it for obviously for black folks you could buy your coffee from him that's that's a good thing and so i think you you call the charitable capitalism i'd like to call it ethical wealth building ethical capitalism amen Um, it all sounds the same to me yeah kingdom capitalism i think i think (laughs) and so and so i'll give you an i'll give you a, a practical example i have a nephew who's uh um a brilliant kid very smart um creative he could he could play piano he's he's just a very right kid he's also very athletic he's he's like six two six three um sophomore or he's gonna be a, a junior in high school plays basketball and his his upbringing has been pretty pretty brutal he's he was he was adopted um didn't grow up with his natural mom adopted living in a house with like 16 people in a trailer park um, transitioned out. Now he's living in a deep valley in Oceanside, which I don't know if you know how this area works, but that's like pretty pretty rough area next to the back gate. He lives living there now, and uh, and and he came and, and lived with me for the last week. And so this is someone that is third generation byproduct of the war on drugs. My father in law 
got hit with heavy, and my mother-in-law got hit heavy with the war on drugs. Their daughter, um, who's my wife's sister, is is going through it right now. I can't get into the particulars of the legalities of what she's going through. I'll tell you offline. Mm-hmm. And this is her son, who's been in the system and has been living with an adopted family his entire life, 16 years old. And, and so it's, he, it's, it's a rough hand. He has a rough hand. And being able to take him and just something as simple show as like, Showing him what I do, show, taking him to the gym, right. taking him to yeah. play basketball every single day. And he, we were at the gym the other day. And he looked around and he was like, man, if I wasn't here, I'd just be at my house playing PS4 right now. But like I'm here and it gives me the, op- the potential of like what can happen and what I can yeah. do. And, and then we started talking about business and margins, the company he works for. Uh, they, were, they work at a farmer's market. What, is the, what are the goods? What do they pay you? How much is the profit? Okay, they're making this much, right? And then... He really just started dreaming. Like, he really started dreaming. And I think sometimes the opportunity to dream, the opportunity to pathways, but then the opportunity to access to someone who's gone further than you that can give you some type of blueprint and say, hey, this this is how we do it. And if you think about, like, in our relationship show, you did that for me with music. Like, you were one of the first folks I knew that was doing music full time before I even believed it was a possibility you were here (laughs) providing for your family off of music. And... And and you didn't give me like this like linear blueprint, but you just gave me that that hope. You gave me that vision. Yeah. You gave me that spark. And I don't know if I I would I would have been doing music professionally if it wasn't for someone like you. So that's what I mean by like I think person to person charity. I think a Absolutely. lot of times is going to be the most direct path. I know I just said a whole lot, so uh, feel free. No, to that was good. I mean, it, <laughs> no, it's all good. I did, shoot. I think that's brilliant. I think we have way more. So access is just not being able to go to a Harvard or go to a Yale. Access is not only recognizing that the you know the dude who the you know lives down the street from me who's working on vehicles all the time though he ain't never spent one dime in, in a you know a institution a, a educational institution he has something that he can pass down. Mm. And in passing that down, that's going to create wealth for me in some form or fashion. To your point, when you talk about Bartholomew Jones, you're talking about a dude who had something he loved. He just needed to figure out how to monetize this. Mm -hmm. And I think oftentimes what happens is is, um, uh, we're dreamers. There are a lot of people who dream. We just need to figure out how to take those dreams and make them practical. And Mm, uh, come on. If there's going to be if there's going to be any kind of usefulness, oftentimes what happens is um, like I often tell institutional leaders, especially white institutional leaders, it's like, man, what you need to do is not just give people like use them for tokenism. How, how about trying to take people? And uh, for instance, I'll just give you a practical example. I've had. Over the past year, I've had three people court me for ideas that I've put out publicly, whether that be like the children's show that I developed or, you know, different things that they've seen me do. And I was trying to take this from an idea that was a dream to something that was full, full flourishing and market. Oftentimes what happens is these folks will sit down with me. They'd be like, man, this is a genius idea, blah, blah, blah. I love it. And they'll say, show me a business plan. And I, I knew. I was like, uh-oh. Here, <laughs> here goes where I fail. I'll fumble the ball. because I." And then they'll look over the business plan and they'll be like, ah, oh, well, ugh, you know. And yeah. I knew that was it. That's the last time I'm having that conversation with them. Uh, the issue is what I need these folks to start doing 
is not just saying like we'll give you money, but we'll give you the infrastructure to succeed as well, or or try to figure out how to train us without you know you prostituting us and for our ideas and there are a lot of people out there who have the wherewithal who have the business acumen to take these dreamers and to flesh it out and and for me i would love to see more of that within the black community another thing i would love to see is more white folks patronizing black (laughs) businesses not just because they're they're seeing it as some form of reparations which i think is great however because the product is good because it's a good product and yes and you, you it's just as good. So, you know, go to the Summerfest or I don't know, DJ. I don't know MC Nice he, to be yeah. black. He's kind of black. Thing. Yeah. Okay. Go to the Summerfest just as much as you'll send your youth to the Summerfest just as much as you'll send your youth to winter, whatever, winter jams and the, yep. the rock and rodeo, whatever tours, mm-hmm. all that stuff. Um, and, 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 and give it the credibility, not just as a minority institution with minorities, but give it the credibility as an institution itself, yes. as something yes. that is legitimate for all people. And that was some of my critique with Talented 10th. When that album came out in 2012, 2013, um, people saw it as an album for black people, which not a pejorative to me. I, I'm like, amen. Like I, I make music as a black man. I want to talk about black history. I want to talk about the faith from a black perspective. However, it's it's really interesting when I made music before this that this was music for everybody. The moment we start talking about black theology, black history, a black perspective and how people applied their faith, now it's only for black people. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's so interesting because we never saw that Michael Jordan's jump shot was just for black people. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, like Michael Jackson's music is all. So how do we begin to look at the history of black resilience, black joy, black pain, et cetera, and not just <laughs> as a commodity just for or any product in general? Like these yeah. are things that we all can learn from. And, yeah. um, you know. It's funny because I used to, you know, you know, John Piper and the Mark Driscoll's and all those folks were pastors for everybody. They were, you know, but you look at a Charlie Dates and you look at, you know, uh, you know, other folks who who are blonde, the Eric Masons who you yeah. interviewed, yeah. those folks are black pastors. Mm. You know what I mean? They're not just good, great pastors. When I look I- at the history. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm, no, I'm sorry. No, no, no. Keep going. You were flowing. My fault. I didn't mean to cut you off. When I look at, look, I look at, you know, the people on my wall, the Frederick yeah. Douglases and, and yeah. these folks and the Harriet Tubman's, these folks are black liberators. They're not considered um, black Christian thinkers because when they postured their belief, they postured it in, a, when they postured their life and their actions, it was in a Christian paradigm. Mm. And so the issue is, is they get seen as activists and, and liberators, uh, and not good Christian thinkers and and uh, and, uh, and and theologians like the um, the Lemuel Haynes and the Richard Allens and all these folks who were deep thinking folks. But the reality of it is, is that they were just as much of theologians, maybe better practitioners than their counterparts who were perpetuating slavery. So, yeah, I love that. And I and I, and here's the thing. And and um, <laughs> uh, my when I grew up in San Diego. Um, the men that first shared the gospel with me, the the folks that first prophesied over me were all black Christians. Um, mm-hmm. One of them is actually in the stream right now. I don't know if she was in here, Cherie Jackson, who uh, her son was like my first like American friend. And she yeah, got Cherie. radically saved in our uh, in our complex. 
and then like th- like everyone else got saved. You know what I mean? Like 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 the rest mm. of the company. And it was uh, it was six black families and two Ar- uh, Armenian refugee families. And I remember my first exposure to the gospel, my first exposure to church, my first exposure to father figures. Well, my dad wasn't in the picture. Were all black men. So I I didn't. Um, I, I I never I never saw that tension like I never I never mm. saw that and I was never uh, too proud to sit and learn from a black man because my context was these are fathers in their kids' lives these are yeah. folks that are spending time with me and taking me you know one of them uh, was a truck driver and I remember the very first time I went to Oceanside show I went in his truck to the beach in Oceanside he took me he was a truck big big old truck driver and so I my my, my context is so different and and I don't know what it is that we compartmentalize like that. Cause I, cause I'm with you. Like, I don't think that we should come compart, uh, separate, uh, liberal, liberal liberation fighters from theologians. Um, nor do I think we should do that with thought leaders and entrepreneurs like Christian entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. Christian thought leaders that are creating op- opportunity for other people. Um, like a Bartholomew mm-hmm. Jones, who's buying up his entire block in Memphis because of the success of coffee black High, He has over a dozen employees. Like that to me is theology and practice. That to me is your faith activated for the world to see and actually being the hands and feet of Jesus to people. So I don't know what that is. I don't know if just my, my, my experience has been unique and I've always just had like amazing black men around me um, going into the San Diego spoken word slam team community, uh, being on a slam team with the Amp Blacks, the Rudy Francisco's, Eugene. Albert. A lot of these folks are like, I'm still like Eugene Albert's like one of my mentors. So they, you know, th- these are 50-year-old black men that pour into me. So I've just never had that disconnect. I've never really understood yeah. what that is. Um, and I, I do want to talk to you about the end of uh, your, your project in what you're doing there. And there's a quote in here that I think ties into this that I think is very good. I don't know if you want to chime in before I go to this next quote from the book. No, that's good. You can go. You got it. Okay. So so this I, you you do this thing, bro, where you articulate the very things that I've always felt and I just like haven't been able to articulate as well. But this idea, like I've always had this like issue with missionaries and just how, like how we do missions in America. Right. And you say uh, on page 83, you says, he says, this is going to connect to the point we're making guys. So we'll just, 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 just follow along. I have no intrinsic hate for the work of missionaries, quite the opposite. I've been blessed by the work of missionaries. I believe that the world should be filled with ideas and that those ideas should be carried across the globe. Amen. Right. But I do believe that missionaries, uh, uh, missionary can be misguided. History shows that missionary projects can become Western colonial colonialization disguised as religious compassion. Ugh. Too often missions has been about the gospel of culture, not the good news of Christ. This points us to an important truth. If we end up making our God, he'll end up looking like us. And then you go on to share uh, in the next part, uh, the next page, you says, and this is why Jesus was the greatest neighbor uh, the world has ever seen. He invaded our human space without demolishing our culture. Instead, he raised the human value of those who are already here. Jesus could break up a party if it defiled his father's house, but he also brought some drink to the wedding, <laughs> contributing to the celebration. He wasn't here to gentrify. He was here to give us abundant life. Woo, I, bro, I've never gone on a typical, we're going to such and such third world country. I've just, I couldn't have, I could never do it because yeah. I've always been like, yo fam, like 
I want to find the pastors there and send them money and let them lead mm. their people and, and, and mm. partner with local churches. Like what I look like a white dude, like right. I'm going to go to Africa and, and go, you know, go to and t- tell them the gospel. Cause uh, like, right. it just, it just <laughs> always felt so disingenuous to me. And, uh, and, yeah. and I think you articulated that well, because what it has been is it's been converting people to a, an evangelical Western culture, not converting them to how does the gospel play out in your culture? Amen. Amen. I mean, I wrote it. So I don't I don't I feel like the more I expound on it, I'm going to mess it up. <laughs> but uh, I'll say the one thing I will say is that there's an organization called Tier Fund USA, who I was mm-hmm. on the board with. I just stepped down and they do just what you said. It's mm-hmm. not about sending people over there to do the work. It's how do we empower indigenous leaders and churches in these communities to do the things that they think are best for their community? That they believe, and it's not just it's not just Christian, it's, it's not it's not just church stuff. It's business driven as well. It's like, look, I got to meet a dude who led his community, his tribe, and they built solar panels. And uh, not only did they just build solar panels, it was a way to create these solar panels and sell them to other people in their uh, in their like area. And so now they've created a job. For not only them is because what they were doing, they were using these kerosene uh, lamps and the kerosene lamps would catch fire and burn down people's homes and it was causing destruction. And so Tier Fund was like, hey, how can we help you develop these these uh, these these solar panels so that Mm. one, people can work longer so that Mm. two, um, it keeps you guys safe at night. But then three it's now it's real entrepreneurship that is Mm. you're creating legacy to pass down. So this is a plug. Go to Tier Fund USA, hit them up in some way, tell them show sent you. <laughs> um, but anyway, that's when I think about oh, missions. That's sure right that's a way in which I feel missions should be done. Yeah, it's not about assimilating people into a culture because I've read you read Chen Chebe's Things Fall Apart, and he talks about how uh, it's a fiction book. He talks about how these missionaries came to the land and it slowly degraded their culture. And I think about Christian hip hop. And all, and all for all intents and purposes, you had, you know, these individuals who loved the culture and they came into some truth about gospel in the world. And then what happened is they turned their back on the culture and all, and 90 percent of the early Christian hip hop that you used to listen to. It would be demoralizing to communities. It would talk down to the community. It would talk about y'all think y'all tough you think driving around with all these fly cars and except and i was what i was part of the problem so don't hear me say that this i am criticizing myself wow and what i've come to learn i had this wonderful encounter i went back to my i went back to my hood where i grew up with my new two albums that i had just released after lines of liars and my my boys was like oh man congratulations yada 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 man appreciate you. i see you doing big things and i asked i was like well what you think of the music there's the, oh man i don't really listen to that bro i just feel like you'd be like preaching at me like i feel like mm-hmm. you ain't really in their ways they was just like look it ain't for me because i feel like you ain't really having a conversation wow you're 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 demoralizing and that forever changed Ouch. My life that changed why I did uh, talent at tenth and yeah. how I it's 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 no longer for me and this is what I meant by being a mercenary. It was like, well, what's going to give me the quickest platform in order to get the approval and the spaces in the places that mean something the yeah. the winter jams and the et cetera. And so therefore, I said, man, I really want to 
have relationship and do life with people. And I know these dudes. I know I know the, the things that the obstacles that they face. I know the life that I used to live. It's like, man, yeah. so why am I speaking at these folks as if I don't understand the struggle and the tension? As if yeah. people want to wake up and prostitute, if people want to wake up and shoot one another. Like people mm. don't really want that. Come on. Like we don't really wake up and want to be poor and impoverished. Come on. But the circumstances around us create those particular uh, situations. And so there needs to be not just a change in activity, because oftentimes the gospel is like, oh, change your activity. There needs to be a change in identity and purpose. And that's why we go back Come to on, Genesis man. 1. Come and on. so for me, I was like, look, well, I got to reposture how I even rap and how I talk yeah. about sin in my music. Yeah. And by the way, guys, when we, t- we talk about like my issues with missionaries, I'm, I'm speaking mytho- mythology, like methodology, mythology, methodology, uh, methodology. not you not, get some comments, you get some comments yeah. on the YouTube people. Coming yeah, at you. yeah. No, I'm, not, I'm not speaking in an absolute term. Show, I think you've been on mission trips. I funded mission trips and, and oh, yeah, absolutely. wanted to go. So it's not an absolute statement. It's just if I'm thinking what's the best way to do it. It's probably not someone like me going there on like a Absolutely. on a savior complex. You know what I'm saying? Like as if I yeah. as if I'm the only one that can communicate to to these folks when there's people well equipped to communicate in their own communities. World, to your point, the world is so small now. There's no need for me to send three thirty thirty people from Atlanta to a to a to a nation when we know information. If you're worried about the development of people. You know, I don't need to send 30 people to build a school. Guess what? Mm. We can fund folk. And if you are going to send 30 people to build a school, then cool. But just do that. Do it in the context of which is going to be best for them. Now, there are some cultural practices that need to be modified. Mm-hmm. Granted. Right. But how do you do that in a way to, like I said, where you're Jesus loving the neighbor and you're not demolishing culture altogether? Because mm. what ends up happening is I went to I went to I've been to Africa many, many a days and I'm no. I'm no expert on Africa. I'm no expert on Nigeria and, and Zambia, et cetera, the places I've been to. However, the one thing I noticed was everywhere I went to churches in, in particular countries, I was like, man, like this just looks like the churches I've been to in particular parts of Los Angeles or particular mm-hmm. parts of Atlanta or Dallas. Like, where's the distinctiveness of your culture in this? Wow. And the reality is, is when West and <laughs> a, a friend of mine, a Zimbabwean friend, said, well, the reality is, is when the missionaries came, they said the dancing is unbiblical. The clothing you wear is unbiblical. The, the way you you have to sing in this particular language and et cetera, et cetera. And you're sitting there just like, this just looks like westernized Christianity. Wow. And what you've lost is your distinctiveness. You wonder why the people who are outside of your churches feel like Christianity is a weapon against your identity because it's told you that your identity is insufficient. And what we're saying is Christ did not come to demolish culture. He came to demolish sin. Richard Twist talks about God didn't save me for me to remove my own sin-stained culture to put on somebody else's sin-stained culture. All of us are sin-stained. He says, redeem it and offer it up to me. And this is the issue with a lot of missionary work. So we don't have to apologize for having issues with missionaries. We should have, if anything, a missionary should be apologizing to us. Mm. (laughs) Because I've seen missionary work, even in this country, tell me the things that I can't do as a Christian. And I'm like, oh, so you're telling me that I can't be effective in reaching people just because I wear a hat? 
Are you wow. telling me I can't be effective <laughs> in the missionary work? Like, because I have locks. I I remember this Christian going off of me, this pastor going off of me because I used to wear earrings. I don't wear them anymore. I used to have earrings. He's like, yo, mm-hmm. you know what that means? That's resemble blah, blah, blah. And I was like, bro, show me in the scriptures where this is a problem. We had a debate. But I'm like, are you trying to tell me that the effectiveness of God's word, his spirit, is insufficient now because I wear earrings? Yeah. Yeah. And so these are the things that I feel like missionaries oftentimes first of all not just missionaries let's just be real everybody carries with them culture and history no matter where you go you walk into a room you bring history and culture with you there's no such thing as transmitting the gospel message apart from your culture what you don't want to do though is you want to make sure that as much as you're transmitting you're not creating an obstacle a cultural obstacle for people because Oftentimes we talk about money management as being a gospel thing. The amount of children you have, the uh, like, for instance, I used to, I used to listen to a particular pastor a lot back in the day, and his big thing was babies, babies, babies. Right, have as many babies as you can have, and my thing was like, oh man, that's good for people who can afford to have babies, babies, and babies. But some of us have to work. <laughs> some of us have need two jobs. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Some of us uh, have kids who are on who are have disabilities or yeah. need special attention. They're not neurotypical. Yeah. So yeah. you're telling me no matter what I am to do, I am to have as many children as possible, even though I know having more children will be an obstacle and probably irresponsible. Yeah. Yeah. These are the cultural sense of sentiments that sometimes integrate into our discipleship, integrate into our spiritual formation that missionary work has to be mindful of. Yeah, I think I've made this statement and people get really mad at me for making this statement. I think in the last hundred years, the biggest threat to the to the spreading of the good news of Jesus is Christian fundamentalism, because what it Mm -hmm. does is you take your little thing, whether it's more babies, whether it's you can't have dreadlocks, whether it's your dress is not, you know, you got you, mean, you can't, locks, you, sir. Don't call you, yeah, yeah, you, excuse me, locks. Uh, you can't have, uh, you, you know, you women can't wear pants. Uh, you right. can't listen to secular music. You can't do this. You can't do that. Right. right. And we take those conviction, personal preferences, and we escalate them to the position of essential doctrines. And then Absolutely. we then take that mentality and go and evangelize into other people's cultures, not understanding that so much of that is cultural. Like that is literally, this is literally right. cultural. Absolutely. And so there's Absolutely. a difference between saying, hey, there's a cultural disc. I'll give you a, an example, uh, a, a brief example. Um, uh, the Chandler Moore thing. Did you see that uh, where his I, wife? I did. I did. Yeah. His wife, they they were. She was twerking on him. Took a photo. It posted it. Maybe he shouldn't have posted she it. Better twerk right? on that man, right? And so and so again, this is a cultural disconnect, right? Because some right. people saw that and thought that is a sexual act, right? And other people saw it and go, "Oh, she just having fun twerking on her husband." Like praise God, you know. Yeah. And so it, it just goes to show how much of a one segment can see something, and then what the issue is, then they segment and they escalate it to a black and white issue and say right. this is absolutely wrong, always, forever. And I'm like, well, you go to parts of the Caribbean and the way they dance might not be the way you want them to dance. You, you go to parts of Africa, you know, and so I think that's and the. And then you and shut so, it down. You're right. And then you shut it down and you say, oh, that's inappropriate. That's not godly. And it's like, wait a minute. You can't you you, you can't do this and, and ignore people's 
culture because their culture is not synonymous with their, you know, biblical essential doctrines, right? Uh, And when it is, then we adjust, right? So I think that's the part that's so frustrating to me, and I see it all the time. Um, And uh, and people get mad at me because I'm like, yo, like, if you're a fundamentalist and you see the entire world in black and white, like, you're probably not going to like my channel. Like, you probably should just not watch my video because we're going to see nuance. You use that word nuance a lot in the word. Uh, uh, Nuance, nuance. And I want to get into this last section, which is... Hold on, hold on. Let me... Yeah, get the last section. But, you know, it's funny even about the channel more thing because I don't really even follow him like that. I like like the music. It's funny how I just saw that post and I almost did a video because I was like, I'm more appalled that people ain't giving his brother sexual advice as hmm. he's moving into his <laughs> because here's the thing we want to shame sexual acts but guess what i'm just gonna throw a number out there probably 70 percent of the people who are on these comments and threads are sexually frustrated because they don't have real conversations about sex with their pastors or with therapists or with people or with their spouses and they're frustrated and then they're going out here chasing pornography or or uh, having adulteries or committing affairs because they don't know how to communicate what they really want sexually in life and this Mm. is the reason why most people who are having who 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 see the the church as a as a as as, as an obstacle not only just uh for what we would call a sexual ethic in christianity but even outside in the lgbtq community like they have a lot of legitimate angst towards the church because we do not know how to talk about real issues. Politics. I don't understand. Like sex and politics are two things that people hold most dear in their life. And for some reason, you hardly ever hear real, genuine, thoughtful, nuanced, there's that word again, conversations about these things. So where people can actually ask genuine questions and feel like, man, like here's these things that I really want to I really want to work on, I really want to talk through. And so when I'm looking at a post like that, I'm like, man, I hope he has some buddies who are like, look, man, if this is you and your wife's first time having sex, um, here's some things you need to look, you need to think through. Yeah. Like, yeah. guess what? You have a whole lifetime to get better at it. Your first time, it may be terrible. Maybe yep. it may hurt. It may this, it may that. Yep. Um, yep. Don't go in there. Seeing her as some, some tool to accomplish all of the sexual uh, fantasies that you want. Like, these are the things that people need to talk about, but they they don't. They rather say, hey, shut it down. Don't talk about it. Mm-hmm. Ignore. Ignore the temptations. Ignore the compulsions. It's mm-hmm. like, no, man, address them and talk to them like a sensible individual who understands that God has given you the tools to think deeply about it. So anyway. That's good, man. That's good. Um, so let's get into this. This You, you describe... You describe depravity or original sin in such a brilliant way and i want to hear since you've evolved and 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 gotten tapped into your more creative side and all these different things i want to hear if your theology has evolved because we were all a part of christian hip-hop during the reformed and restless thing everyone was a thousand point calvinist Moses running around here with you know john piper uh sponsored tours uh, and, and tour buses oh you try to shave right now you try to shave right now <laughs> so uh shout out to john piper by the way this is one of my favorite calvinists but you have this, this section here and this is really good uh it's page 10 and i posted this on instagram because this is just like i was like man this is so good um you said the book of romans states there is no one righteous not even one this is the human condition we all become the very thing we 
fight against. The economist can advise a company toward great financial gains while ignoring the effect of her work will have on the poor. The activist for justice can be so consumed with outrage that he slowly slips into a version of the moral despotism despotism he opposes. (laughs) The theologian can conveniently emphasize principles in her teaching that fit comfortable cultural norms while ignoring points that challenge them. And then you go on to say, cartoons and comic books benefit from the characters of heroes and villains. They are simple stories. Kids have limited capacity to interpret the abstract. We need to make it clear to them who the bad guy is so we drape uh, him in dark colors, make him unpleasant to the eye, and give him a sinister layer and a few redeeming qualities. But in real life, if evil were so easily discernible, no one would fall for it. In the real world, heroes cast shadows. Villains can have admirable qualities. Just read the story of Moses, David, or Solomon in the Bible. We ourselves can blur the line between the two with how we think, act, worship, and create. Yeah. That is a brilliant, uh, brilliant depiction of the state of humanity. That is, I think, such a good encompassing um, way to communicate the Imago Dei while communicating the original sin that we're born with. That we are both created in the image of God with dignity, with value. Uh, with with immense potential, however, we are flawed and and broken because yeah. of sin. Um, you want to expand on that, and then I'm kind of curious, just get into some of the theology stuff. No, we can get to the I don't really. I think yeah. I think the next yeah. line I say Mike we drop. swing consistent. <laughs> we swing constantly between the reverent and the repentant, mm. and I think that's the that's who we are. We're people who wake up sometimes and we contribute to detriment, and there are times when we wake up, we contribute to flourishing. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Um, so let's talk about let's talk about theology. So uh, do you still hold a, a, a Calvinistic bent on on your views on theology? How has your theology evolved? People always tell me to get a Calvinist on here. I was like, I just had Dr. Eric Mason on. They were like, he too woke. That's not good enough. <laughs> they need a Calvinist. <laughs> Every week, the Calvinists always want me to have a Calvinist on here. And I'm like, yo, I have Calvinists. They're just black. And you guys don't don't appreciate that. So oh, uh, well, they're gonna, you struck out with me because I am definitely <laughs> not. I don't qualify to be that person. I I'll say this. There, you know, I don't even know if I consider myself necessarily a fully Protestant anymore. I, I think okay. there are aspects of or the orthodox of tradition that I that I think are very valuable, and the mysticism of orthodoxy that I think is is, is powerful. Uh, when I say orthodox, like Eastern orthodoxy, and mm-hmm. uh, that I think is quite powerful. There's there's aspect of Catholicism. Look, you know, you about to you about to have all kind of issues, obviously, with your fans and me. People are gonna hate me, but yeah, there are aspects of Catholicism that I think um, practically and like liturgy and how they there's a reverence for history and a reverence mm-hmm. for um, uh, tradition. And I think um, now, obviously, the, theologically, there are things that I I don't mess with. But in the same sense, like there are aspects of Protestantism, whether it be Calvin, Arminianism, um, I don't know, whatever, that I'm like, man, these are truths that I think are, are quite helpful. I, yeah. I don't I don't know what I am. And I don't say yeah. that to be like to cop out. I just don't know. And I think the moment you say that you're this, mm-hmm. the problem is, is you continue to build a you try to build a camp uh, or a, 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 which I do think. The Bible says, build a creative defense is uh, first Timothy or second Timothy 316, where it says, you know, always given a defense for what you believe. But mm-hmm. my issue is 
is that it's a defense for the belief in Jesus and his acts and the mm -hmm. redemption of his work on the cross. Not necessarily if, uh, if five points or four points or if, sure. uh, et cetera. Like to me, we get into the weeds of things that I don't think are quite important. Um, yeah. Now, these are things, well, not, not say important. We get into the weeds of things that I think that aren't majors. Yeah. I think everything about what we believe in doctrine is, is important. Mm -hmm. But I do think sometimes we will champion things that I don't think have that are of the utmost importance. And so for me, I um, I can safely say that there are things about Calvinism that I that I'm like, yeah, I do. I do believe that we are depraved people. I do believe in a in a total depravity. Um, however, there are other aspects that I'm like, I don't know. But also culturally, Calvinism to me is 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 somewhat problematic in how there is this this um uh exaltation of the preaching of the word uh how the pulpit is is almost like this ultimate thing catholicism it was the eucharist mm -hmm. and the and and catholicism it's preaching and i believe like there's a bit of orthodoxy in me where there's like where's the community where's the history like where mm -hmm. is the 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 whole body integration into mm -hmm. our faith and this is why i think even as limited as it, it could be seen, a lot of black theological principles throughout history with slavery, as I try to talk about in my book, you talk about this theology that came from this plantation that grew into something that was much more. These are people who believed in Jesus, not only in an intellectual sense, that they believed that Jesus was real and they wanted a personal relationship with him, but they also believed in this corporeal liberation that God cared about their body, which means mm. he cared about my comings and goings. He cared mm. about my liberation. He wasn't just a God who was like, yeah, I, I care about you knowing me personally, but everything else about your life, if it's hell, then accept it and deal with it. He's like, no, because our eschatology, and I think this is where you can fall into different, whether you're, you're uh, an Episcopalian or, you know, the eschatology what does that mean? What is God's call for us to the world or to the end of days? How are we redeeming those things that were corrupted yeah. in the garden? And so for me, I I I, I try to be consistent when well, I consistent. I, was, I try to be thoughtful, if you will, with how I view different areas of the faith and say, man, like this seems to me like something that makes a lot of sense biblically because we are to care for the creation. We are to care for how we are and, and, until Jesus comes back. But I also believe like, yeah, man, like, yeah, this, 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 this total depravity thing is, it seems legit. And so I just don't find myself, uh, I don't find myself aligning with one particular camp because I just don't find it being helpful for me. Now, granted, um, I go to, <laughs> this may throw you, I go to an SBC church. Right. I go to a Southern Baptist right. church. I know I was getting there. <laughs> That's what I was curious. <laughs> And there are some things, there are things that I love about this Southern Baptist Church. Yeah. But there are things that I don't love about this Southern Baptist Church. Yeah. Um, I am of the belief that I, I believe that women should be able to preach. I just, uh -huh. you know, I, that's just my own personal belief. Um, and I think there's ways in scriptures to, to, to justify that. However, I go to a church that doesn't, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I'm, I, I, there are things that I understand about church politics and polity that I, I, I can, I can say like, 
at this point in my life, I could be content with being in this particular space. And I could be content with having friends who have this particular view, or I could be content with people who, you know, have these. But for me, um, I also know that that doesn't limit me where I go to church and and where I work or where I do doesn't limit to the, the friends that I can have or yeah. the types of conversations that I can engage with, the people that I can love and affirm and stuff like that. Like my thing yeah. is, man, if you love Jesus with all your heart, mind, body and soul, it should reflect it in your living. Yes. And we'll try to figure out all of the, the gray areas and the by and by. But right now we're, we're yeah. messy people trying to make it work. And Come so on, man. that's good. Yeah, that's good. I, lo- I love how you answered that. So there are parts that you would still affirm of kind of like your the, the, the theology that you had initially. But then there are probably things that have also evolved. Yes. Um, it sounds like a lot of your things are also with methodology, which was kind of like I just couldn't rock with the culture of Calvinism. I just I, I, I really was like, ah, you know, what I mean? and then once yeah. I got introduced to Dr. Layton Flowers um, and Soteriology 101 um, provisionalism. Uh, I don't know if you've looked into that, but it's kind of, it's like and I a, have not. It's like a three point Calvinism, but like with other stuff that just kind of just makes more sense if you just objectively look at the scriptures what the yeah. scriptures teach. Well, you know? I, I struggle like so. For instance, just to give you a real practical thing, I, I struggle with like scripture alone, like the solo mm-hmm. scriptura idea, because mm-hmm. I think in you're more orthodox. It's not just scripture; it's tradition as well. There are things that mm-hmm. you can't affirm solely through scripture because you know scripture doesn't speak to this thing and so traditional mm-hmm. in the traditional sense the you know the church has always done this and so mm-hmm. for me there are certain things like that that i'm like yeah well i used to hold to this tightly in calvinism in a calvinistic way now i'm like no nah. or even to your point like uh uh um soteriology i feel like there's a lot more mystery to soteriology yeah. than than I I used to allow in the in the past. So yeah, it's just I subtle think, things like not subtle things, but things like that. Yeah, I think scripture alone, to me, my understanding of scripture alone is that scriptural is final authority, not only mm-hmm. authority. And I think that mm-hmm. may be the distinction. And I I thought I got this well, from could Driscoll. Be. Yeah, I thought I got this from Driscoll. That was like scripture is the final authority, not the only authority. Meaning that um, if I need help to figure out what's going on with my brain. I'm going to go to a psychologist or a therapist and figure out what's going on with my brain. If I need my car, you know, motor redone, I'm not going to go to scripture. I'm going to go to a mechanic. There's other authorities. It's just a final authority is scripture uh, in in terms of moral conduct and God's heart for how his children would live and all that kind of stuff. And and what is. Well, amen. You taught me something, my friend. And I thought I got that from Driscoll, though. And who's a Calvinist? You know what I mean? So maybe. Look. It may be that may be true. I this is the one thing I'll say for myself. The last couple years, I have felt way more. And this may sound like I'm talking on both sides of my neck, but I'm cool with that as well. I um, I've grown more comfortable with not trying to claim to be a theologian and move out of the theologian space mm-hmm. and be a full fledged artist. Like I just want to be somebody who writes well, someone who creates dope content, but creates from the posture of someone who understands theology and scripture. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that it, it helps and shapes my world. But I don't, I don't, and that's why I stopped reading as much the, theology and, and um, yeah, because I'm just like, well, if I want to be a pastor, if I want to be a, you know, a thought leader within a Christian space, this is what you should do. But for me, yeah. I honestly want to be a, I want to be a creative. And yeah, I'm with creator. you because because sometimes if you're only concerned with the, the the theological, sometimes it can get difficult 
in the yeah. in the creative, right? So I hear you on that. Um, guys, we're going to do a couple questions from you guys. So if you have a question in the comments, just write question. And then with your question, I'm going to mark some of them. Um, tell me about, before we get out of here, tell me about the AND campaign. It depends on who you're talking to. Some people think we're Marxists. Other people think we're Uncle Tom's. So it's just... Well, this is this is, this is is what I talk... Like, like, people are like, man, uh, you know, I understand there's issues with law enforcement, issues with these things. And we need to do something, but I just don't want to donate to Black Lives Matter, the organization. And I'm like, hey, respect. <laughs> Have you heard of the AND campaign? Because that's a Christian organization that uh, deals with these yeah. things from a biblical worldview. Uh, and so, yeah. <laughs> so I think you, you formulated something as... As an alternative to address some of these things, I've also I've, I refer people frequently to 8cantwait.org, which I think is a great way to see some of the common sense um, mm -hmm. uh, legislation for police reform. Um, talk about just your heart for uh, the and, and the and campaign. By the way, the website is andcampaign.org, but I want to hear your heart on that. Yes, a, yeah, andcampaign.org. Yeah, so um, for those people who've never heard of the and campaign, it's basically like a a um, a, a organization that is tr that is trying to create a that's trying to depolarize the Christian posture within politics. Oftentimes, when you hear people talk about family ethics, it's dominated by folks on the right. And oftentimes, when you hear people talk about justice and compassion, it's often dominated by people on the left. Hmm. Well, if I go back to the historical Black Christian tradition, well, these are people who've been concerned with both. They wanted to build healthy families because families were stripped and torn away from them, but they also understood what it means to be an individual who fought for justice and liberation. Mm -hmm. And so throughout Christian, throughout the black Christian tradition, justice has always been tethered to faith. Like Jesus was always a liberator. And so, but he was also a person who wanted to see families built and husbands love their wives and et cetera, et cetera. And so the Ant Campaign is an organization that is trying, but in a messy way, trying to build cohesiveness between Christians that don't feel like the right or the left is their home, but mm. they do want to advocate for issues, whether it be um, comprehensive life. We're not just folks who are uh, who are anti-abortion. It's like, what does it mean to to not only care for that child when it comes out the womb? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Uh, is it these are healthcare issues as well? So it's not just like oh pro-life. It's pro-human. It's pro-flourishing. Yes. But yes. in this other sense, it's like it's look, man, like we understand that policing is a problem, but there's also um, uh, some this, 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 we, we have to be sensible in how we check and try to and ask for these reforms. So it's just an organization that's trying to bring one cultural, not a cultural, but a political literacy as well. So when you when bills or when uh, amendments come across, not only national, but locally, how do we understand these? And so we're building chapters in different cities and states so that people can advocate for issues in their particular communities. And they, if they're not and we're not anti anybody, so we're not anti Black Lives Matter. We're not anti. But, you know, throughout history, black people have always had multiple institutions that fought for, you know, their interests in justice. And although we're not solely for African-Americans, we recognize that we're in this urban dense context and those people tend to be folks from an African-American perspective. And so we're trying to figure out for too long, or we're trying to address the issue for too long, especially in the black community, the Democratic Party has owned the black community and <laughs> and has given little reward for their allegiance. Mm. And we know that through historically, the Republicans have been able to succeed without the need of the black community and the church community. And so 
how do we, the black church community, and so how do we begin to create a voice that is more unified, that doesn't get prostituted by the Democrats, but also is respected by the Republicans? Come uh, on. Though it's, you know, so. That's the bar, man. So that's the end campaign. That's pinned up. If you guys want to make a contribution. Okay, we got a couple of questions. It's a good one. Um, me, and you, me and you may disagree on this. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I'm ready for it. Question. Uh, is uh, meritocracy... Okay detrimental beneficial or neither shout out to levi peterson for the question mm. i think uh one you gotta i, I think we have to we determines it, it determines where you are in the world so for in america um now yeah i'm not a i'm not an economist so mm. obviously this is just my opinion i think um no matter where you are the most talented people are going to shine. Mm-hmm. Like that's just that's the reality. However, I do think there are ways in which people who have been who are talented have been marginalized because of a lack of opportunity and access. Mm-hmm. So it to me there's there's this this interesting tension of I don't think we need to to do away with meritocracy altogether. However, we do need to see the holes in meritocracy, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. So that would be yeah. my very simple way of, uh, of of dealing with the question. Because the reality of it is, is, for instance, for me, I love meritocracy when it benefits me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, I think about like nepotism. Like, shoot, everybody hates nepotism until, until their relatives, you know, gets them an opportunity or a job. Like, and so at the end of the day, as Christians, the one thing we do have to realize is that even if it if it's for our advantage, it may not be the best. And so um, I'll say this, just like to just reiterate, I do think no matter where you are in the world, the people who are the most talented and gifted usually shine through. However, there are times when people who are talented and gifted don't get the opportunities because of the circumstances that they're put in. Yeah. And, so and we, it's... We need to figure out how to deal with those disparities yes. where disparities are obviously um, created in, in disadvantages, if, if that makes sense. I think, and it's my opinion, and you can tell me what you think, I think we have to finesse nepotism to create more meritocracy. I think we have to take yeah, our I resource and, and, and get popping and then help others elevate that are talented like my nephew who's 16 brilliant talented Absolutely. but just is hasn't had the access and the opportunity and and so I'm going to leverage my opportunity and my connection and the same thing for Christian creators and the same thing for Christian rappers and yeah, the same thing for absolutely. people in proximity is and for you know how much good information is worth and you know how right. much good information with direction. Hey, I can't, I can't sit here and tell you how to do everything because I don't know all your particulars, but here's the here's how you do it. Here's how I did it and go that way and, and kind of shoot. That is so yeah, valuable. No, you know what I mean? And so like, that's that's some of what I'm trying to do with this channel is like I'm I'm leveraging my nepotism of 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 uh, being a Christian influencer or whatever I am to help point people towards meritocracy because if you if you really want it, if you really want it, now is one of the best times to get it. If you really want it. But if you don't know how to get it and you don't have the access and you don't know the you know the pathways, the you question, could at least yeah, get so some the challenge. Inf- you know, so I'm glad they said the, the challenge with meritocracy is, is how we measure the merit and how we measure the talent. And so it's not so much that um, 
we it's it's a it's it's an even canvas that ours even if it's even playing for where every where we know here's the talent level and, and people right. get this opportunity. For instance, like soccer, um, I love I love soccer, I love football as we call it. I just call it soccer because I know most of the people are listening. Um, the reality of it is, is there may be kids in certain parts of Oceanside who are amazing. You got the next Lionel Messi, right? The issue is they have to play in order to get into some of these opportunities, which they don't have the resources. And so the kids who have the money, who have, whose parents can take them to traveling teams and, you know, they already have the advantage. And so therefore in that sense of a meritocracy, it seems as if the system's working, but the reality of it is, is like, there's, there's a kid who's probably way more talented than that kid who's traveling, Mm -hmm. who's never going to be able to make the pay the kind of money to get into these clubs, right? And so that's what it's like. So yeah. in, no, in I a think sense, it's totally right. meritocracy. Yeah, so we're saying the same thing, I guess. Yeah, yeah I think we're saying the same thing. And and, it, and it, there's, a, there's a whole chapter in Outliers about it, about uh, yes. kids who are more developed yes. uh, and born earlier in the year, get more attention from coaches earlier in the process. And it's not that they're more talented, it's that they literally are just more physically developed. If you're a kid that's 10 months older, is going to physically thrive more at five, six, seven years old. So that's not meritocracy. That's just, you know, attention from a coach that gives right. you that boost. So I, I, my thing is like, I'm trying to be that coach for people. You know what I mean? Like I'm trying to be that person yeah. that empowers people to, to, to do it. Um, and tell people that it's possible. You know what I'm saying? And tell, tell, tell people that it's possible. Okay, let me get through some of these questions. Be that, um, be that white saver for us, Ruslan. Oh, stop it. Uh, question, do you have a music project in the works? And is there anywhere I can ah. find the Louis Portier project, which was a hard project, by the way? Um, so, uh, yes, I have some music in, in the works. And hopefully people will rock with it because it's definitely not. Yes, I'll just say this. It's I have some music in the work. Um, I don't know what you guys are talking about, the Louis Portier project. There was no Louis Portier project. There was like a I single or two saying. that y'all did, right? And okay, then that turned yes, into Talented yes. Tenth. It turned into the narrative, pretty much. The narrative, excuse me, my fault. The narrative, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that, yeah, that, um, there was a single and um, we were hoping to do an album, but it ended up becoming just my own solo project. So. Yeah. But I would love to do something like the Louis Portier project because I just I just that's love that dope, type of man. music. Yeah. It's dope. And if you get one take it and do it live, like that stuff is fire. Yes. Um yes. okay. Uh YouTube channel or podcast coming. So my man Ruslan is gonna hopefully he's gonna put me on on how to on how to do a YouTube channel. Yes, YouTube okay. channel. I think I'm gonna I'm gonna try to finesse it to to be half as good as Ruslan. Oh no, you're just gonna be better than mine. That's the goal. All right. We got Jeremiah Branch. He said, practical application for young people begin to work towards change for urban areas on the creative and pragmatic side, especially as Christians with the holistic approach you're talking about. Yeah, I think one is you got to know the community in which you exist in and you're moving in so um, that you live in and understand that um, one, I think the greatest catalyst for change is like creating economic and educational change for folks. So, come on. Um, I love nonprofits, but um, I just, I just, if I see another black person start a nonprofit, I'm like, come on, son. Like, people need economic engines in their communities, and so, come on, um, create job opportunities. That's the best way to discipleship somebody is hire them, teach them work ethic, give them principles, you know, godly principles on life, on work, and then, you know teach them to how to replace you 
You know what I'm yeah. saying? And yeah. or how to be your competitor, if you will. Yeah. Um, so that's Deuce's yeah, son, by the way. I don't know if you caught that. That's Deuce's son. Oh, that's Deuce's son. Okay. <laughs> Ambassador yeah. Junior. Yeah, that brother. I'm, 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 and, uh, uh, I'm glad you're here, bro. Um, go ahead. Tell, I mean, control. tell your brother. I say, ah, what's up? So anyway, that's it. Really, just, just trying to figure out how to use your creativity in in a way that can create opportunities that live past you you know that could be easily that could be reproducible that's the reason why i believe in legacy how do you create legacy and if i can shoot i hate to i'm gonna talk about the cross movement right and this is the even this is a whole nother reason why we need to own the avenues in which we create the cultural product bro the cross movement is partially responsible for why i'm here right now like Mm -hmm. they made me who i am Mm mm-hmm it's a shame. It is a, a shame that they have, like, they're not more, one, appreciated, but that they don't have more ownership in the culture that mm. they help build and develop. Mm. And I think some of that is, you know, I think some of that is the, the individuals in the group, but a lot of that is the people who who kept them from owning opportunities. Mm. And uh, so, yeah, I think, you know, this is even more of a reason why the cross movements, the lampmos, the tunnel rats, the whoever folks that contributed to the building of this institute or this this thing we call Christian hip hop needs to be those folks who are now owning the festivals, who are distributing music, who mm-hmm. understand how to manage tours, like who are, yeah. So anyway, that's my that's my little rant. That's really good. That's really good. Let me bring in some more questions. Hold on. Uh, favorite books? You want to give us some book recommendations? Bro, I got a couple books that I'm reading. There's a whole bunch of books I'm reading right now. Uh, one I'm reading is a uh, uh, old <laughs> Dostoevsky's uh, Crime and Punishment. Uh, so I'm trying to run through that. I have uh, just two books right here that I'm that I'm. I kind of read a couple books at a time. So here's a uh, Chimamanda and uh Americana. It's a novel. I love fiction, so mm. I am a novel person. Mm. Here's another book that is called Doctrine of Race. So we often talk about evangelicalism but the reality mm-hmm. of it is is you know white folks don't own evangelicalism like black mm-hmm. people have been a part of evangelicalism and fundamentalism if you're honest for a long time and mm-hmm. so just to say that evangelical and that's why i feel like we can't just give up this idea of evangelicalism because just like america we've contributed to the building of this thing and just because some folks voted for trump and you feel like that's a, a stain on this particular name doesn't mean that you abandon it it's same thing with people who say that they they're done with the church. I'm like, you done with the church because what? Like mm. every institution has violated people. Come on, science created eugenics. You know what I'm saying? Economics created redlining and all this other stuff. Like every institution has created problems, bro. But we don't give up on those institutions. You still go to school. You still you still do research. You still make money. You still get your money yep. to the bank. Yep. The bank took black people's wealth in the 1800s and 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 invested in railroads and lost it. Like you know what I'm saying? Like but you still, anyway, so. Yeah, that's good. All right, this is a good one. Uh, me and you may disagree on this one as well. Has there ever been a time where you questioned your talents and how did you overcome that in Christ? Why do you why recommend, we, we, how do you, what do you say? What's why we disagree? What do you recommend? Because uh, I got a very interesting view on talents, but I'm, I'm curious what, what your view is. Oh, okay. Um, I want to hear you. Yeah, I, uh, yes, I've, I've, I've definitely questioned my ability to shine in uh, the Christian market. No, nah, I just, nah. I've questioned my talents in general. 
You know what I mean? I mean, I think if you're not, if you don't, if you don't ever come to a point where you feel like, man, am I good enough? Then I, I think you're probably a sociopath. <laughs> like, <laughs> you, like okay, I think I gotta change my answer. What I'm about to say next. <laughs> hey, your brother's because in here, by the everybody... way. Uh, Reg, what up? Uh, ah, your brother's what up? What up? Uh, I can't see the yeah. comments, but yeah. So I'll, I'll, he uh, just is asking about when uh, we're going to put put me on the mic. When well, you going to put him on the mic? For, 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 I, but, I don't know. I, look, he, <laughs> my brother is my brother is one of the dudes who taught me how to rap. However, I'm going to say this: I don't know if he can rap anymore. Just because you taught me how to rap, <laughs> don't That's mean that funny. you still got it. However, That's I will funny. say this, man: that dude, that dude, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big on that dude has an amazing story and uh needs to be heard like where he's come from and how he loves the lord now amazing amazing story but yeah i think i have i've doubted my talents before i've doubted who if i was good enough to do certain things but i do think when you one are affirmed by people around you yeah i think that's a good sentiment not just your friends not just like your mama and your auntie but like Mm -hmm. legitimate people when you're affirmed by people who've done it or who do it that's another you know, but this is the other thing. I think too often we want to be famous or we want to be the best. And that should never be the metric the, because you'll always grow in discontentment. Like if I could, mm. if I would have always cont- measured myself up against Lecrae, then I would live in, in, in depression because I don't have as many followers as him or I don't I didn't have the kind of platform he had. But I recognized I was a different artist for him yep. Yep. or a different artist than him. And you have to grow content in that. So um, I'm going to shut up because yeah. I. Yep. That's good. I, I think 95% of what we call talent is a myth. And I think it's really just skills, consistency, discipline, opportunity, uh, happenstance. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and God's so you your outlook. That's, the Malcolm, that's that Malcolm Gladwell yeah. speaking right there. Yeah, 100%. Like, like I think when you look at uh, books like Outliers, when you look at books like Mastery, I think 95% of it is just opportunity timing someone's just ability to grind work stay consistent really really somebody's opportunity opportunity access and ability to get into the flow state if you can get into the flow state with a new skill you can master almost anything the question becomes where are you positioned in life to do something? So, like, I'm never going to the NBA, regardless on how talented I think I am. Like, I'm, I'm not. I'm five foot ten. I'm Armenian. There's never been an Armenian in the NBA. There's never been a 36 year old Armenian in the NBA. It's not in the cards <laughs> for me. Uh, but, but that's a skill that was also connected to its DNA. There's some genetic there. There's some genetic limitations. Yeah. There's some uh, access. I didn't get to have access to the same coaches, the same kind of high school, right? I was the only child, so therefore I didn't do well with other people and learning on how to be a team player. But there are but, other but there are other five foot ten or other short white men or short men who've excelled in the league. And so yeah. I think there is a bit of talent that is involved with it. But I do agree a hundred percent I will say the thing that I fail in the most, I believe I have, I'm just going to say it. I believe I have exceptional talent in certain things. Okay. The thing that makes me different from, I'm just going to say you, man, like, I, although you're talented, so I'm not trying to say you're not talented. Yeah, that's the thing. I don't the think I'm that talented. I'm just, I'm just resilient as no, hell no, no, my life. You're, <laughs> no, you're talented. You're talented when it comes to MCing. Like, bro, you can't, sure. you don't listen to somebody like you and be like, yo, he doesn't have talent. Like, um, but anyway, I'll, I'll look at um, I'll look at somebody, and I'll say like you, and this is not apples to apples, but like 
you have this tenacity about you, this work ethic that you stick to things mm -hmm. and you are you work at it. And to your point, like you're you're trying to master something. And oftentimes I am I believe in the kind of like the romantic creative <laughs> narrative where it's like mm. I do this for a moment. It's like, oh, this is fun. OK, now I stop and I move over here and I do something. Oh, that's great. And now I move over here and do something. Mm. Um, and that could be beautiful because there are many people who who um, who shine in different spots, but it's something beautiful about a person who can stick to something and just do that one thing. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, but, very but, few bro, people are going to You put together to a whole book, though. Like you wrote a book. Right, like, right. I, I couldn't do this. And praise God. And praise <laughs> God. And I'm happy. Like I, there's not too many people who can say that they've written albums. They've they've done. They've written musicals and performed that musical. That they've also acted in television shows and movies, and they've also written a book. Yeah. However, I am. You know. Imagine if I just focused all my energy into just rapping. Imagine if uh -huh. I focused all my energy into just acting. Imagine mm -hmm. if I focused all my energy into one of those things. Then I may be a little further along than, you know, than I am. But I'm also very content and happy with, with where I am. So yeah. it's really, I would say it's all those things you, you communicated and contentment as well. Because, yeah. and I don't mean contentment in the sense of laziness, but like contentment and knowing like if I never become... Um, like Aver DuVernay, or if I never become Martin Scorsese, if I never become mm -hmm. Denzel Washington, I don't know, showing my age with Denzel Washington. If I never become like you know the most famous uh, actor, uh, or if I never become Toni Morrison with the novels and the pen, the reality is, is I'm good enough though, like where I am. Yeah, but here's so. here's what I think. Here's what I think. Show is that I think you, much like me, are proficient enough in multiple things, and I think we're gonna see a world of more figures like Donald Glover. Um, who who are multidisciplined yes. um, and don't just yes. do one thing, right? Because I think the dream, I think if we're honest as creators, like we all want to be the Kendrick. Like we all want to be the artsy-fartsy, I'm just going to do one <laughs> thing and be exceptional at it, right? right? right, right, right but right. the truth is, I think the world is becoming more like a Donald Glover's where you're a multidisciplined type of creative. Um, and I really do feel like the, and the, the unlock to that and this is kind of what I want to write a book about. I am writing a book. I'm just not gonna. I got someone that's gonna help me write it. Um, the unlock to that um, is, is 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 discipline keeps you going when motivation or inspiration runs out. But what keeps you going when discipline runs out is flow state. And I think you having wrote a book, you know how to get into flow state. I mean, think about this conversation, bro. We've been on almost two hours, and it does not feel like two hours have passed. That's because we're in a flow state. We're just having a good time. We're conversing. We're exchanging ideas. People are enjoying it. And time shuts down. And I feel like that's the key to, to mastering something is if you can get good enough to where practice or creation becomes the flow state and time shuts off, then you can spend different seasons mastering different things like you have. Like you, you've mastered how to put out good quality music. You, you wrote an amazing book that I'm kind of like, goodness gracious, this is incredible. Um, the plays, all these things. So I think, I think, I think it's one and the same, man. I think, I think we just feel that pressure yeah. that society tells us to stay in your lane yeah. and look at Kendrick no, and no, J. Cole. You know, and it's like, I, and not to, not to, not to be this guy, and I'm not, and I'm, and I'm that this is going to get trimmed out, but like. I've had conversations with Kendrick before, multiple mm -hmm. conversations. You're way more interesting you you to talk to. You said you cut this out. You said I'm going to cut this out because I don't want to sound out. like I'm. I don't want to sound like I'm throwing shade on Kendrick. But I'm saying I've talked to him multiple oh, gotcha. times, multiple conversations yeah. with him, 
and you're way more interesting to talk to than Kendrick. He's not the oh, most. Oh, look, I'm not. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? No, like, no, no, he's no, really good saying, at rap, yeah, I feel you. but he's not that deep, like, in everything else. He's just very oh, yeah, proficient and I at get one that. thing. And I'm not saying, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I get that. But also, the fact that I, I, there's very few Donald Glovers in the world. There's very few people who can write for SNL, write for 30 Rock, that can. I'm talking about on the level, the high the level, level in which he does on the level. Things. Yes, yes, but that's changing. Right. That's old there Hollywood, are, though. That's 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 going to be done. That's going to be done in five okay. years. Well, right? I mean, I'm not saying. Look, I, I I'm not saying I I'm against it being done. I'm just saying, like, I just I just see that there can at times can be a handicap, and I'm I use that word. You know, I, there can be a, a, a an obstacle for those folks who um, who don't focus on one discipline. Like when you, if you're all multidisciplined, sometimes some of those disciplines can be a distraction and you probably won't get to the level at which you desire, but get to a level that you're creating change and doing stuff greatly and be contented in that. And I am content with the amount of platform I have. Would I want to increase yeah. that? Absolutely. But also feel like, you know, um, I would, I would love to desire to be a dude who's acting in A-list movies and, also making music that gets you know millions of downloads and and then i can be on it but i also recognize that that may never happen for me um but yes i'm content yes but yes but what i'm trying to say to you is you have the skill set the capacity to do what you just described if you're if me and you stay humble enough to learn these new platforms. Plus, I got this beautiful face. Look at this beautiful face, y'all. I know. You're very handsome. People keep asking if you're related to Frederick Douglass, by the way, because they say the picture in the back. <laughs> you're like, like uh, hey, hey, me and Freddie, <laughs> me and Frederick, me and Frederick. But yeah, I think it's the fade, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I think I think I think it's I think it's I think it's possible. And here's the thing, show is I think life is long, bro. Like cause who we're what we're, who we are in our fifties is not who we are in our thirties. You know what I'm saying? Life is long, yeah. and uh, and and rap is aging longer and longer. That window is getting pushed out for when you can make music and still be like not looked like the old head in the room. You know what I mean? That window is getting pushed out. <laughs> YouTube's get all this. And life, the world is changing, man. So okay, you got time to do it a couple is. more questions, or you got to go because we've been off for no, two no, hours. I want to respect got, your time. You know, it's crazy. I wish. I would have scheduled this a different time. I'm literally five minutes late for another interview. Okay, we gonna wrap then. Um, I'm, to be, I'm doing a uh, pass the mic actually. I'm doing pastor. I'm supposed to be on pass the mic. Pass the mic with uh like oh, pass the mic. and Tyler. Bar. Hey, yeah. that's dope, man. Well, listen, um, bro, thank you so much, guys. Pick up the new book. Like, okay, seldom can you walk into a Barnes and Noble and like get a book this good. So, like, if there's a Barnes & Noble, like, go pick it up. Um, I don't know if you got them yes, directly please. on your website. Um, but it's I do. Really... I mean, there's a link to my website. Yeah. But what go to Barnes & Noble I'm... and buy them. Okay, you want them to buy them from you or you want them to uh, buy them from you or from your, the website, from Barnes & Noble? Buy them, buy them from Barnes & Noble. It's like YouTube analytics. When you buy them from, like, these major brick-and-mortar spaces, what happens is they show more respect to the to the product. Yeah. Get the book. Like, I really and mean this. Like, maybe I... when another Christian author comes around, he's like, yo... We should we should be we should be putting these dudes up and giving them um, you know end caps and stuff like that. Yes, guys, pick up the book. Show it, it was phenomenal. Thank you so much, bro. Guys, follow Show Baraka on all platforms. Send him some love. Uh, sorry for keeping you long, bro. I appreciate you, man. Um, I, can't, I can't wait to see everything that continues happening, and uh, and we'll talk more about YouTube too. Hey, bro, don't be don't be curving me when I hit you up. I ain't gonna curve you. I ain't never curved you a day in my life, bro. <laughs> all right, y'all. I love you, man. Peace. All right, man. It was a pleasure.
Hey, thank you so much for making it till the end of this video. If you found it valuable, please consider giving it a like and subscribing. You can check out one of the other videos related to this that'll be over here. Now I gotta tell you about a free training I have for anyone that is an entrepreneur, a creative, an artist, but maybe you are unsure on how to find your voice, how to find your niche. I have a free training in the description of this video. Check it out. Once again, thank you so much for watching. I appreciate you and I will see you on the next video.